On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo-Daily, are the Defence Forces having a Me Too moment? I was struggling quite badly with it, with the bullying um, that I was being subjected to. And I felt that for the sake of my son and my own health, mental and physical, that I had no choice but to leave at that stage. You must treat your comrades and those with whom you come into contact, whether on operations or not, with dignity, respect, tolerance and understanding. The mission statement set out by Ogly Naharan is one we can all aspire to, but allegations are mounting about it being a cold and hostile environment for women. It's not a safe place for many people for whatever reason, but it's not a safe place for women in particular. Among the recent allegations are assaults on two female soldiers at a Dublin barracks. So the army officer who allegedly sexually assaulted the two female soldiers then attempted to apologise the next day with Brown Thomas vouchers. Another has alleged been assaulted while on duty overseas. Another has complained that she was sent inappropriate images by a male colleague. Then there are the women of honour who have spoken out with stories of harassment and abuse. For me personally, it's been 40 years of a fight for these ladies here. Some have been 20 years, 22 years, and a very recent fight and still ongoing for for, for honour. The long-awaited Commission of Defence Forces report set out how there is a patriarchal attitude within military management towards women and the lower ranks which creates an uncomfortable workplace. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today I'm talking to retired Army Captain Diane Byrne and Ireland editor with the Irish Independent Fionn Sheehan about a defence forces under fire for its treatment of women. Fionn Sheehan, we're going to talk, I suppose, historically about a lot of what has gone on in the defence forces and the place of women in the defence forces. But I want to start by showing that this isn't necessarily a story about things that have happened in the past. And you've been writing quite a bit in recent weeks about a late lunch that took place in McGee Barracks and the fallout from that. Yeah, so if you wanted a a live case encapsulating the issues that have been raised by the the Women uh, of Honour group uh, of allegations of sexual assault, this is it. Operation Fortitude was the name that that the Defence Forces were were giving to their interaction with the the COVID-19 response. And they set up a a joint task force. Its staff of 40 were based in McKee Barracks. In June of 2020, the Joint Task Force decided to hold what what is being called an outdoor late lunch, but was effectively a party or a barbecue outside uh, in in McKee uh, Barracks. The numbers that it, that attended that are are, are not clear uh, yet, but it certainly looks like it's above the the 15, which was the limitation on outdoor uh, events at that particular point in time. However, things became more more serious uh, that night. What is alleged to have transpired is uh, an officer who was attending that event got drunk. 
uh, he he passed out drunk basically outside the Joint Task Force's offices uh, in McKee Barracks, which is right beside the, the, the Phoenix Park and Garda headquarters. Uh, he was discovered there by two female soldiers who were on duty that night on, on patrol. And it's alleged that in the course of them attempting to, to rouse him and get him uh, back back to barracks, it is uh, alleged that both were sexually assaulted. The the two soldiers r- reported an incident, but the the issue kind of was was allowed to it would appear drift away over the course of the the next couple of weeks. It appeared nothing happened until about seven eight weeks later, an investigation was was launched uh, on foot of an order from the head of the the army brigade based in in Dublin and the northern end uh, of of the country. That investigation has only been completed in the last couple of weeks. And the fallout from that is basically the investigation found that the, the Defence Force did not breach COVID-19 protocols. Nobody's quite clear how, how that is the case. But that it was in breach of the the serving of alcohol rules within the Defence Forces. As a result, three senior officers were officially reprimanded by the Chief of Staff uh, of the, the Defence Forces, uh, Lieutenant General uh, Sean Clancy. But separately... The officer who it is alleged committed the, the sexual assaults uh, is due to be court-martialed in, in, in the coming uh, months. Uh, and there that is being viewed with enormous seriousness now, not only within the Defence Forces, but within the government itself, because it is it is coming at a time when the Defence Forces uh, is being accused of basically not dealing with these issues of sexual assault, abuse and harassment against female members uh, over the last number of years. Explain, you mentioned there the military police and you talk about a court-martial. Explain that to people because a lot of people wouldn't actually know this, but if there is an allegation within the defence forces like this, you don't call in the guards in the same way that you might expect if somebody is assaulted on the street or in their home. Yeah, so it's 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 dealt with effectively in house uh, by the the military police, and and over the years they they would have had to investigate uh, allegations of of sexual uh, assaults. But there is some some criticism that do, do the military police really have the expertise to be dealing with this? You've got special units in the Gardaí, for example, that 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 deal more more are more, are more familiar with how to handle uh, such cases. Also, there's criticism about the duration of time that it that it takes. So rather similar to the Gardaí conducting an investigation, filing a report, giving it to the Director of Public Prosecutions. In this case, the military police investigate, they present a file to the Director of Military Prosecutions who then decides if a court if a case will take place and that is is held before a military court uh, in a, a court-martial scenario. And how does that work? In What is the punishment there? Are the laws the same as they are for the rest of the general public? Like, can that court send a person to prison can they suspend them from the army what 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 is the the punishment as such if someone is found to have committed what's alleged yeah so again it's it's under military law not civilian law that 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 you're dealing with here uh, and in these cases it it can range uh, offenses can range uh, the punishments can range from anything uh, to, to to reprimand to suspension to uh, discharge from the army or jail in in, in military uh, prison in the cora so it, it's different to the military to the prison, so you're not you would not be sent to Mount Joy. You'd actually be put. No, you'd, in, you'd be in a, a, a military prison. So it it is its own 
entirely separate jurisdiction. It, it's almost as if the Defence Forces is a separate country in its own right. Very interesting in, in, in the setup of that. Explain to me where the vouchers come into this particular story, or the, the allegations, and we should say this is all allegations, it's all still under investigation, but part of it centres around vouchers. Yeah, so the, the, the two female soldiers that, that I referenced, uh, they completed their, their, their shift on duty that night. They were off the following day, and when they came back to work two days, two days later, they were called over to an office in the barracks where the alleged perpetrator was. He apparently attempted to apologise, and part of his apology was to offer them uh, Brown Thomas uh, vouchers. It, it wasn't well received by the, the, the two soldiers f- for obvious reasons. And now the Minister for Defence, Simon Coveney, uh, has asked an independent uh, barrister to carry out a review into that investigation in the, into the party. The, investi- the, the part of the investigation into the sexual assault will be appeared before the court-martial, but they, these are interlinked issues. So among the questions that have to be answered is, was there a delay in initiating the investigation? Why was there a, a delay? Uh, who exactly ordered it? How did it come about? And why did it effectively take 20 months to present a final report to the, the, the Minister for Defence uh, on an, on, and carry out reprimands on an issue that happened in June of 2020? Okay, so that's an example of a more recent case that is ongoing, but... I'm joined also today by retired Army Captain Diane Byrne. And Diane, you uh, were a woman in the Defence Forces. <laughs> I was. Um, obviously. Why did you join and what exactly was your, your job with the Army? Um, well, I'm from a military family, so it was it was in the blood, so to speak. Um, I had an opportunity to go in as a direct entry engineer. So I had my qualifications as an engineer before I joined the Defence Forces. So I went straight in as a first lieutenant um, as a technical officer to serve to serve within the Corps of Engineers. So it was slightly more unusual to, to how many people would, would go in. I was the first female engineer in the permanent defence forces. So uh, it was definitely a bit of a shock to their system, I think, in relation to having a woman in, in that position. So it was 2001 when you joined the force. Mm-hmm. What was it like at first? You say it was a bit of a shock for for some of your colleagues to to see a woman coming in with these qualifications and into this role. Um, but what kind of a welcome did you get? What was personally how how did it go? Um, it was it was an experience. <laughs> um, when when I started off first, it was more of a shock to my system as well. Um, the environment that I was going to be into because it's a very, very different world. And when you come in without starting at the, you know, the, the basic training levels, there's a, an automatic assumption of knowledge. So I would have gone in, say, the equivalent of seven years that other people had served. So right down to the rank structure, I wasn't aware uh, of what it was. So I was more concentrating on my own learning curve aside from the engineering, but in the military sense. Uh, some people just you are who you are, you wear your rank and, and the respect goes with the rank. Um, others have issues with the, the gender aspect of it. And others, you know, many can get past it and get on once they realize you can do your job. They don't really care who you are um, and respect you for that. But there are others, especially um, in positions of authority that may have extreme difficulty. And I experienced that where some people just did not want me there. Now, I couldn't definitively say that's because I was female. 
um, you can make that leap. I was a direct entry. I didn't have what we call the class ring. Maybe that was something to do with it. Maybe it was my background. My family were non-commissioned officers and I had gone in as an officer. Just Some people just take a dislike and can use their position then to make your life extremely difficult. But you got on with it. You worked away. You worked your way up through the ranks and then you decided to start a family. I did. Um, so I, I accepted the difficulties, um, got on with them as best I could. Um, and then while I was pregnant, um, I was working in the Air Corps at the time and I went to maternity leave and I was transferred to a new job in a new barracks back to the army side um, when my son was four days old. I wasn't told. And as you've you've heard, the army is an entity of its own. It has its own laws, its own rules. If you want to go out of state, you have to apply for permission. So, you know, you're, you're in essence, you're owned to a point, which is fine if, if you're treated fairly. But if you're not, it can be very difficult. So I got a phone call. So sorry, just you were four, your son was four days, four old, days old and you were being moved around essentially within the defence forces yes. while on maternity leave. While on maternity leave, which in, itse- in itself, even if I was moved job in the same barracks, it's illegal. But now I was being moved to an entirely different location, an entirely different branch of the defence forces. And nobody told me. So I received a phone call when my son was six weeks old, basically telling me I was absent without leave. Um, as I sat there very confused and uh, the angle that I was told is that my paperwork, my maternity application had been filled out on the wrong headed paper because I was now Army and not Air Corps. So that was the start of of, of a very painful road. But it was some time after that, Diane, then that you discovered that while you were on leave, four of your colleagues who you would have seen yourself as being of similar experience and, and in line with were actually promoted while while you were away with your baby. Yes, that's right. So um, I found out that my four male classmates who I had joined on the same day um, as a direct entry in 2001 uh, were interviewed and promoted and I didn't even get a call to say that the interviews were happening. So I wasn't even afforded the opportunity to interview for what would generally be considered natural progression. Um, so it was a, a, irrelevant of the job that I was doing. It was more around the, the level I had reached in terms of experience. And at this stage, I was a chartered engineer with the Institute of um, Engineers Ireland. So, you know, as an engineer, which is what I was hired to do, I had reached you know, a pinnacle, if you like, um, and wasn't even afforded the opportunity to interview whilst on maternity leave. You eventually ended up leaving the Defence Forces in 2014 Mm -hmm. and you did take a court case, which you won in the High Court around all this, but then there was an appeal taken to the Court of Appeal um, and and the High Court ruling was struck out. Is that right? That's right, yeah. I considered, I I was struggling quite badly with it, with the bullying um, that I was being subjected to for, for say nearly a year after I had returned and I felt that for the sake of my son and my own health um, mental and physical that I had no choice but to leave at that stage but you know I felt that there was a lot of other people suffering in there as I was but wouldn't have had the unique situation that they could leave without buying themselves out so I felt I had to stand my ground on this went through judicial review won in the high court and it was very distressing because to win There was a sense of justice, but rather than taking a lessons learned approach and taking corrective action, really understanding what had happened to make sure it didn't happen to anybody else, um, the state appealed 
um, and to this day, um, the decision was overruled um, on appeal and I am at a loss to understand exactly what had happened in there. But at that point, I was basically told that if I did not drop this, I would be destroyed for costs going forward. So I ended up feeling, you know, that I had no choice again but to, to cease fighting at that point. Fionn, Diane and other members of the, the Women of Honour group who are campaigning for better conditions for women in the Defence Forces, um, they have met with Simon Coveney, they have met with Taoiseach Micheál Martin. What's the feeling in political circles about what is happening here, about this conversation that has been started? The, the group was seeking uh, a, a statutory inquiry that would have the power to compel witnesses and and. and uh, and a greater, a broader uh, remit. In, instead, they've got kind of an independent review led by a judge, which the government is arguing will will be able to um, provide a report within a, a shorter time frame, but doesn't really have the power. So you have that opposition party saying that uh, it should be a, a statutory inquiry. At the same time, there is an ongoing debate about the future of the, the Defence Forces. The Commission uh, on the Future of Defence Forces uh, issued a, a report last week, Simon Coveney calling it the most important report on the Defence Forces in, in 50 years. But a key part of that report is really around the structures, the operation and the culture within the, the Defence Forces. It does point uh, to things like like that, that Diane has been talking about there. It, it says that, that some of the feedback that the Commission was getting was that that women have a fear of informing command authority if they are pregnant and a perception that when women have children there is an expectation that they will be bowing out. So that's actually within the report itself. There's also a, it, it raised concerns about a distrust of serving personnel around making complaints and seeking justice. They said that these fears can be an even greater disincentive to air grievances if the complainant is part of a minority, particularly women in a very clear male-dominated environment. And the report does repeatedly refer to that, what has traditionally been a very masculine gendered organisation, and is basically saying the Defence Forces is, is going to have to change. The Defence Forces, in order to maintain public confidence, is going to have to change its culture. Diane, you have a daughter now. She's some way off uh, having to, you're sending her out to look for a job. But when, when that day comes, would, and if she came to you and said that she wanted to follow your family tradition and, and go into the military. How would you feel about that? Oh, absolutely no way. Not happening. It is not a safe place. It's not a safe place for many people for, for whatever reason, but it's not a safe place for women in particular. And I, like I've looked into the commission and I, I can see what they're saying in, in the review also. And I, I've got concerns. I'm not suggesting there's nothing useful in there, but it, it, it feels like we're, we're entirely missing the point. They talk about culture. It feels like we've gone from one extreme to the other. You know, we've gone from trying, struggling to keep women in there. So we're not going to really, truly fix the problems and understand the problems. We're going to hurry, hurry, hurry and bring 3,000 more women in on top of the problems. I just think that it's an overreaction um, from one extreme to the other without actually really, truly understanding what's not working here. What's happening at the moment is very troubling. Because now that these issues have been raised, there are thousands of these situations. Every single woman in the Defence Forces has experienced stuff like this before. There are thousands of them. Um, and now there is a sudden reaction to one or two instances. 
you know, what's going to happen here is a scapegoat situation. See, look, we're doing what we're supposed to do. But is it really happening underneath the surface? And it concerns us that it's going to drive the troubling behaviour, the abuses of power underground and make them darker and more sinister. The Indo-Daily asked the Defence Forces for a statement on the recent debate around female participation. They told us there are just 601 women in the Defence Forces, which amounts to 7.1%. But there is a target of that being raised to 35% female participation over time, something the Defence Forces themselves described as ambitious. They told the Indo-Daily that the Australian Defence Forces is one of the leading militaries in the world with regard to female participation, but they've only hit 20%. Spokesperson went on to say that the Defence Forces will strive to be more outward thinking and look at alternative means of recruitment. One idea they suggested is to appoint female civilians to specialist posts as long as the individual meets the criteria set out for that role and is competent in that particular area. The Defence Forces went on to say that they've introduced a number of family-friendly measures in recent years, including flexible working arrangements and online learning to minimise the impact of travel away from home for long periods. It was a lengthy statement, but they concluded by saying that they want to reflect the society we serve, attracting future members from all backgrounds in order to ensure we are a modern, inclusive military force. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Neve Dunn, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. If you enjoyed the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review.